Hey everybody, welcome to Shop Talk Show. God, we have an excellent show for you this week. But before we kick it off, I want to mention two of our amazing sponsors, two and only two. Environments for Humans, they do conferences for web nerds like us. The big one coming up is in Hawaii. We'll tell you about that later in the show. And a brand new sponsor to us, one that I dearly love, Peep Code. Peepcode.com. They sell like instructional screencasts and they do an amazing job. They have one really cool series um, that I've learned a lot from that I'll share with you later in the show too. So check out peepcode.com and let's uh let's kick things off, eh? Welcome to episode something or other of the Shop Talk Show podcast. It's number 40. Is it for... I'm, I'm not good at math. So, yeah, so of the Shop Talk you Show... should be buying sports cars and stuff and, like, like combing our comb-overs over. I think we're having a midlife crisis, Pop. Yeah, possibly. I just bought a Ferrari, an orange <laughs> one. <laughs> hey, on that note, one time I had a dream about... I, I had a dream where I bought a yellow Lamborghini... <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I was having a midlife crisis in my dream. Maybe I was watching too much Top Gear, but I bought a yellow Lamborghini, <laughs> and I didn't have anywhere to drive it. So I was just driving around downtown Austin, like calling people, "Hey, dude, you done with work? I could pick you up in my Lamborghini." <laughs> it was that's what I would do if I had a fancy car. I just anyway. Anyway, I'm Dave Rupert, midlife crisis, uh, and with me is Chris Coyer. Chris, hi, buddy. Uh, uh, thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have another guest from the lovely UK, Laura. Hello. Hi. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, uh, Laura, Laura. I have a question. Um, okay. So you are from Surrey, is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, one I once had a girlfriend from Surrey. <laughs> named Laura. And so for a little while, I've been living in fear that you uh, were that girl. So, <laughs> <laughs> Are you Dave's ex-girlfriend? I yeah. don't think I'm Dave's ex-girlfriend, no. Okay, perfect. All right, good. Then, then we can proceed. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of hot drama there. There you go. There you go. Ooh, we do have a little bit of that's how we generally start the show. We have lots of Q and A, some good stuff for Laura to talk about. Um, but there's, you know, we like to start off with a little news and links of the day. It's actually, you know, in in the in the real world here, it's been a little while since me and Dave have been on the line. We had some some some. Um, if you are avid listeners, some uh, rapid fire shows that we've been airing because me and Dave have been traveling a bunch and stuff. So this is the first uh, live show we've shot in a little while. There was a uh, Dave, you have one in here about um, titled UX is bollocks. And it was yeah. a newsletter that Aaron um, Walter, who's the UX lead at MailChimp um, sent out to his, he has like a little email uh, kind of list that he sends to and he was talking it. and then it, it wasn't like verses it was very it was very light as far as hot drama goes but it was um uh what's his name mr malarkey uh, uh, uh andy clark there you go sorry andy god dang it and and he said ux is bollocks and aaron was kind of re- refuting that that claim exactly you want to fill us in on that day yeah it was just a interesting uh kind of talk just andy is a, a bit gregarious, we might say, and he just, and uh, unapologetically so, but he was just saying, like, UX as a profession, or UX designers, is just completely made up, and, and it's not even real or something. And then uh, Aaron came back and was like, well, uh, yes and no, bad UX is super prevalent, but, like, a good UX designer is is worth every penny and so did you read this laura did you get a chance to cruise through this 
No, I didn't. I'm not really sure. There's a lot of people releasing email newsletters at the moment, and I don't really understand because I get enough email. <laughs> so I've, <laughs> I've, I've struggled to follow all the blogs as it is, let alone letting more email in. So no, I'm, I'm a bit behind on that. It is a bit of an interesting trend, isn't it? I, I like it because then because eventually it'll go away and we'll come back to the blog and I'll be like, see, blogging is cool. It's always been cool. It always will be cool. <laughs> if only I could get a collection of emails that people could subscribe to. <laughs> if something like that technology existed. Uh, yes. Anyway, it's a really good read. We'll... we'll keep a link in the uh the show notes but i I think it's it's worth kind of you know we we, you know we have people like seo you know snake salesmen you know snake oil salesmen and we have people who just call themselves ux designers and they're not a value add they're not you know so i i just thought it was a very interesting um thing it was it sounded like andy andy was dealing with not even a UX designer, but just a like a sub-genre of kind of crappy visual designer. Like they don't have any visual design skills, so they just say that they're a UX designer and they just make wireframes and send them along to actual designers. It seemed like a pretty bad situation. I could see why he would, would, would you know, have some negative things to say about that. And it sounded like they were putting like components in there from this like whatever book of components they have and they just and he's like this doesn't work in a responsive context so uh anyway that was just interesting yeah it was indeed um okay let's see this is one that i got i personally got fired up and i didn't see that much hot drama go on and again you guys sorry if we're a little behind the times on this but remember when we had um uh um oh what is wrong with my brain today Oh, I love her so much, too. Uh, uh, Rebecca Murphy on, and we were like, she had some hot drama to say about Net Magazine, which is based in the UK, is it not? Um, it is, yeah. Um, about uh, some JavaScript article that was uh, that was full of some misinformation, and then there was one that got published about um, it just, just pretty much straight-up smack-talking HTML5 and how we shouldn't use it. Did that? What did the... Did you see oh, that? I, re- I remember that, yeah. <laughs> so it's like a month ago now, so sorry if it's uh sorry if this is a little old. But man was I I'm gonna straight up say hot drama alert, it was terrible and I'm pissed that it was published. <clears throat> and because I, I read through they, they retracted it in the end, didn't they? They they, they took it down. They said that they they would always edit uh, things that they published on the web. They could always edit them afterwards, anyway. But that one had slipped through the net. Because it's uh, it's on there now. It's still up, uh, and you know, there's a lot of positive comments on it too. But I I mean, I could go through it one by one. But I'm just gonna say, f that article. There's I literally have a note here of, of eight seven or eight things that I think are ridiculous that are in that article, and. Let's just leave it at that, I guess. Let's uh, maybe I'll do it. Chris is mad. <laughs> angry Chris is angry. <laughs> uh, no, I've, it's, I've seen a few, I'm not going to speak specifically, but just a few blog posts that came out and, and you're just kind of questioning, whoa, that seems a little off base to me. But um, yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I've been, <laughs> I've been preoccupied, but we'll, uh, we'll, I, well, I don't know. I just, blog posts are, are tough because they're out of date immediately. And then maybe they started on a bad idea. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I just think you should avoid name calling in it, which happened a couple of times. You call it some markup wonks in it. It was wonk. <laughs> so what does the word wonk mean? It's, I kind of like it, but it just means like idiot. I think. <laughs> It's just baiting. Those kind of articles are just just yeah. baiting people. Oh, the best was like, okay, so what should we do then if if we shouldn't use HTML5 elements? And it's like, oh, well, you'll have to buy the book then because that's the next chapter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, suck it. <clears throat> <clears throat> Flame bait to Here's sales. the next one. It's not, that's not, it's not exactly hot drama, but I, I find it interesting. I'd like to get somebody who's involved with this on, but have you guys seen um, webplatform.org? Yes. This yes. is kind of a big initiative from a whole bunch of browser vendors and a whole bunch of uh, smarties like the HTML5 boilerplate team. Or, right? Am I right in saying that? 
Well, just because Paul Irish was on both of those things, Divya. and so was Divya, too. Um, yeah, so, you know, W3C's on board. Oh, if you're looking at the logos at the bottom of the page, anyway, there's some big names that are involved in this. And that, that's where I kind of, I have some questions about this. So I'm going to avoid any hot drama here and just say that it would be nice if we could get somebody on the Shop Talk show to talk about this and what its future is and what the real deal is. But I had some, like, big questions about this right when it came out. <laughs> Namely, like, like, okay, for example, the biggest, like, open, contributable, comprehensive docs about the web right now are is the MDN, right? Is the Mozilla Developer Network. They have tons of great docs in there. Yes. Can we agree on that? Yep. Cool. And they're on board. Their logo is in the footer, right? Mozilla. Yes. And they're saying, and then I heard, I think I heard Paul say that all that content can come over if you want. Just, you know, just go copy it over or just go, just go move it. And you're like, well... <laughs> Why doesn't Mozilla move it, you know, or whatever? Like, I, it just seems weird. Like, you want us to go hit edit on your wiki and copy it and come over to this wiki and hit find the relevant page and hit edit and paste it in there? Like, that's that's weird, and that's probably not a great idea overall. And then, like, once we're done doing that, let's say somebody, like, dedicates weeks of their lives to doing this or more. Are they, is then, is then now there's like two separate copies of it. like, which one is the most up to date? Like, are changes going to be ported over? Like, is Mozilla Developer Network just going to shut down and redirect all their links to this? Cause that would like kind of make the most sense, right? Cause like, I just don't under, I just don't understand. Is Microsoft going to do this thing? Are, are all these companies going to shut down their own docs? Or are they going to have people on board that are in charge of moving changes from their own docs over into this too and vice versa? I think the intent, and I'm not on this at all. Uh, I think the intent is to have like a best practices citable source. Um, MDN tends to he- lean heavily on like HTML and JavaScript. You know, it- it's very like this is for real. You know, um, this is like how you code this thing. It's like a W3 schools replacement. Um, this looks like more like Wikipedia for niche web things. That's my, that's my take on it. And uh, yeah, other thoughts. Laura, what's your opinion? Is this the best website ever or the worst website? (laughs) (laughs) It's nice and all, but I don't know how they. Even if they copy all their documents across, how are they going to be consistent between each one? So people going to refer to a particular topic, and they've got. Microsoft original document and a Mozilla original document, how are they going to know which is better? And are they the same? And is there going to be a crossover as well? So it really needs to be its own thing because if it's just getting everything from everywhere else, then you're going to end up with doubles of everything, surely. Yeah. Triples, quadruples. Half half doubles, you know, where, yeah. That's Uh, true. Simurai in the chat is pointing out DocHub.io. Um, DocHub is cool, but it's it's just MDN. It's just an interface around MDN. Oh, is it? I didn't know that's where they got it from. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's super cool. Makes me jealous because it came right out after I wanted to start doing my almanac. I'm like, oh, this is better. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but win. I have my own. I've changed. Anyway, I just think what this needs to me is five maybe full-timers and the, there's maybe a, a few people who can do like technical editing and then and then three or more like people that are like kick-ass at content they're just like they're good at organizing and curating and and, and dealing with content because there's going to be like this is just going to be a huge amount of content and it needs to be kind of well curated and well maintained and well cross-linked and well just well cared after uh, and I think it needs some some full timers to do it. That would be kind of cool to see if there are those people, and like maybe like each of these companies could contribute one or something like that. I, I just think to, to have it be completely open, to have like there be nobody like steering the ship. It's just kind of like oh, we designed this thing, and let's let the let's let the the, the users edit it. It's just not going to turn into what I what everyone hopes it will. But maybe somebody from what well, I don't we don't actually know anything. This is all from the outside here. It's an alpha. They're very clear about it being an alpha. So be cool to get people get Divya on to talk about it. I want to see. Yeah, I want to see where it goes. I'm, I'm I want more. Give me more. 
<laughs> Let's do some cues. We have yeah. some good ones for Laura here, and that's the point of this show is questions for our awesome guest. So, Laura, you redesigned your website recently. Do you have any, do you want to like give us a little like a little what your experience was like doing that, or just because, or is that one of the fr- or do you even want to talk about that? I don't even know. No, I'm cool talking about that. It's because it had been like four years since I did my site, so it was seriously out of date. I kept updating the portfolio, but nothing else. And so it got to the point where people were going, why are you talking about responsive design when your own site isn't responsive? And I didn't have the time to really do much to it because I had lots of client work and things like that, and it kind of gets on top of you. So it took a while, and to actually design for yourself is really hard to get something that you feel accurately represents you it's quite it's strange it's kind of like bearing yourself in some way like saying this is my taste in design not what i'm doing for my clients so it's it's a bit scary and it was really intimidating launching it and yeah. knowing that people would yeah suddenly see and suddenly see how i did responsive stuff and things like that it was yeah a bit scary but it was yeah, good fun I- Especially as a as a as a freelancer, so you, that's what you. I mean, you definitely consider yourself and and, and yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely freelancer. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Right. And so you like like most of your job and most of your time and hours of the day are are trying to make other people happy with the you know right. So it's like yeah, it's a much you, easier you like, problem to solve. <laughs> yeah. It's like, did you feel like like? lost in any way like like do i even have a style anymore or or, or yeah it was it was how yeah how do i represent myself because there wasn't really anything that i felt stood out that i could do and also when when it comes to responsive design now a lot of it is not about visual gimmicks you're not trying to do sort of clever decorative things and stuff like that which is what i might have leaned on a bit before Mm -hmm. and so now i really had to concentrate on doing something that was fairly minimal so that I could really get the content like easy to read and things like that make it as digestible as possible yeah and so well, did that's you have any, I like guiding to... goals or guiding vision for... I wanted I was really focused on getting a really nice typeface and I knew that once I did that I'd be quite sorted because when you're on a small screen you don't really need much else uh-huh. other than a really nice readable typeface and so that was I knew once I got that I was, I was. It was easier to do it after that. You did right, Avenir, yeah, yeah, and I like yeah. it. <laughs> so good. That was my favorite for a long, long time. Such a good one. Where do you even get that? That's fonts. dot com a, web fonts. Ah, uh, fonts. dot com. Uh, that's definitely yeah, not typeface. Yeah, they've got they're, they've got rights to a lot of stuff on there that you can't get in other places. I mean, all of them do. All the all the services have their their particular deals with the particular foundries but yeah, yeah. So in order to use Avenir, i had to go fonts.com but they've been good it's it's been very reliable for me is it self-hosted with fonts.com do you have to chuck those files up on your own server and self-host or do you link no, up with javascript or whatever yeah, i think you can self-host if you want to pay a super mega extremely expensive version but uh. otherwise it's you link to their css file and I was wary of it, but actually it doesn't seem to have had any effect on the performance of the page. Oh, so you, you link right to their CSS too, which is interesting, which is also different than how Typekit runs, you know. Which yeah, it's, not, it's no JavaScript in uh, fonts.com, which is what I preferred to do. I've, yeah, I've, I mean, there's definitely some specific preferables to that. Like most, you know, like there's pretty much no such thing as Fout anymore. And that's because, you know, when you link it up through CSS, uh, it just deals with that. Like, they kind of solved that problem. But, like, when you do it with JavaScript and inject CSS, now Fout comes back. So, so, so Typekit has some, some, has to deal with that in different ways. And yeah, yada, I'm yada. using all of any, anything JavaScript when I'm trying to deal with mobile stuff. I, I think if anyone, anyone's on a poor connection, JavaScript is just well worth avoiding as much as possible. Mm hmm. Yeah, yep, yep. They have some cool, they have some like async things they're doing now type kit, but then that makes the fout even worse than it was. Uh, I like it. Let's, let's, at least it should be an option. So that's good on fonts.com to, to be doing that. Let's see. Do, do we, we haven't even made it to a question yet. We better get into one. <laughs> well, um, uh, for, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Abdul J writes in question for Laura. 
What's your process of designing a website? I ask this question because I usually start with paper mockups and then start coding in HTML, CSS. The problem is that I don't focus on the code structure more than the look and feel. Uh, any insight there, Laura? How, how do you take a website from your brain to the, the HTML? I, I always start on paper. Um, after, oh. after having the content, I'll always, yeah, do, I do a lot of sketching. And I think that starts out, I'm very, I, I always did art and design and things like that. And I started out doing graphic design. So I'm quite a paper person to begin with. And then sometimes, now it varies. Sometimes I'll do style tiles. Um, if I'm working with quite a savvy client. Um, if not, sometimes I do more visual mock-ups that are based on a sort of, I call them like, they're like snapshots of different screen sizes. So I'm not, I don't sort of focus around necessarily 320 pixels and 768, things like that. But I sort of, I take snapshots of random screen sizes and say, oh, this might look like these various sizes. And then from there, I'll go into HTML and CSS. I find it, I do find it quite difficult to um, design in the browser. I, I, I find it easier to get visual stuff down first, which is But you didn't even mention... You didn't even mention like Photoshop or Fireworks or anything. So, you, so, so, no, you don't like designing the browser or those tools. It's all it's the paper. Um, I try to rely heavily on paper. Then I'll go. I'll, I'll go into something. I used to use Photoshop and Illustrator. Now I'm a big fan of a Sketch app from Bohemian Coding. It's a brilliant. It's vector based and it's more. It's designed for web graphics, and you can export like two times the size, so it's good for app design and things like that. And I, I think it, it suits my workflow a bit better. And it has things like borders and shadows that mimic CSS. I think you can even export CSS for particular elements from there as well. Wow. So that's a it's a, a nice thing for doing web graphics in. So I'll, I'll, I'm more right excited like that. They have it's a free good. trial. And it's, it's very affordable as well, which is more than you can say for the Adobe suite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is fun. So it's, it looks like it's 50 bucks. They have a pretty cool icon of like a diamond melting into colors. Oh, yes, I've never pretty. even heard of this. But it won an Apple Design Award. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, all right. That's good. It's nice to have... Uh, Especially options. People are like, what software do you use? And like, it's, it's nice to be able to have something that you know isn't twelve hundred ninety nine dollars <laughs> to recommend yeah. once in a while. And they update it a lot. So I'm I run the beta all the time um, of their of their app because they update it constantly, a lot quicker than Apple will update it in the App Store as well. And they they're constant. I think every day they release a new version that's nice. got some sort of fix in. So you know that they're actively developing it and act, and fixing bugs and things like that that you wish that they Adobe have been doing Photoshop for years. There are so many bugs in Photoshop, so it's quite nice to see that yeah. there are developers that are really. Isn't on that it. a funny feel good thing? Like it's like I feel like even if I was to do a new software product where I had to update versions, I feel like every week or so I would just push out something. Just for even if I didn't actually change anything, I'll be like, oh, I updated the README or something. Just because you're like, oh, yeah, they're in active development. Makes you feel good. You've just unlocked my GitHub strategy, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Never update anything but Readmes. <laughs> so your date always stays. Repo, yeah. RAS updated last week. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, we got one from William Owen here. Uh, that well, It's an audio question here. Here we go. Hello there, William Owen from the UK here with a question for Laura. Um, you recently did a great job of redesigning your website, and I think it's such a hard thing to do for a designer to be their own client. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us what the key decisions you made were uh, and what the challenges you faced when you were working on your design. Also, as a slight follow-up question, I was wondering uh, what you see as the challenges for designers designing for responsive design and how you see them being addressed. Keep up the awesome show, guys. Love it. Take care, and thanks for taking my question. All right. Well, thanks, William. That's that was maybe one of the top recorded audio quality questions we've ever had. <laughs> that was really good. Um, so, yeah, Laura, can you walk us through like um, the the key 
discussions, I think he called them, when in the challenges you face when you're doing your redesign. Or maybe start us off with a bit of a walkthrough of your redesign. You kind of went with like a color for each page sort of situation. Is that right? Yeah, so I wanted to go really minimal on the layout and the typography, keep it clean and things like that. And I was thinking that the one element I could make different and interesting is actually the colour because I really love designing with colour and I'm not I'm not really a white background kind of girl. Like I don't feel like it represents me very well because I tend to use a lot of colour in my design. And while a lot of people say that you need to have a neutral portfolio so that your work can show through. I I didn't I didn't want to have the white background, so I decided. Well, what if I make the colours of the page reflect the project on the page? And so for each project, um, the page has got a colour scheme that matches that project. Each blog post, the colour scheme matches the subject of the blog post, or it takes colours out of the photos. And then for the about pages and things like that, they're all sort of random colours that I chose that I thought kind of suited the topic a bit. Or I just tried to go a bit, a bit rainbow colour on them and uh, it's a different yeah. one for each section. Uh, this this, is, that was a this is great. You don't even – not that – I'm just saying you have a, a very active profile on colour lovers. So you don't yeah. even just say you like colour. This is a full-blown obsession with colour. People love these things. Look at the views you get on the, on your colour palettes. crazy. Yeah, they, are, they have been there for a very long time. <laughs> I think I've been on that site for probably going on six or seven years. Man, this is awesome. These are nice. All right, cool. Color lover, officially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the... I, I thought that would be an interesting way to differentiate. And on the pages where it got a bit plain and there wasn't any photos, I decided to put a little bit of illustration in there because... I do that every now and again, and I sort of found a style that I liked that I've been using on slides in my talks that I've been doing recently. And so I thought, oh, why not stick some of that in as well, just to brighten the page up where, where there aren't any images to look at. Sure. Cool. It's, yeah. Where is that? The about page? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, on the home page and the about page. It, it only shows up, though, if you've got a quite a wide screen. So it's oh. like a little extra. Them, oh yeah, that's screen. rad! Like really sketchy and yeah, that's sweet. That's all you, huh? You just yeah. paper it, scan it, yep. clean it up, toss it. Yes. In. Sweet. Oh, that's great. Great use of the huge screen. I'm like, I don't see any. Oh, awesome! I liked how it. Uh, that's my one of my favorite things to look for in responsive design is when you when you get, when you make the screen wide, then you can you can watch it load quick. Which means that you did it right, and that that image isn't loaded at small screens, you know. So you're like, oh, yeah. it's not like it's not like preloaded, and then if you get it loaded, it just like unhides or whatever. No, no, oh no. yeah, I, I'm not using any of those display none naughties in there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, All right. Did you have any like challenges, um, like, or, or can you generalize what like challenges there are for designers doing responsive and maybe you'd learn from doing your site or another site? I think one of the biggest ones is definitely navigation. I think that we're still struggling to find a good thing for navigation. Even I've had nightmares with the jQuery on my site and things like that still, but it's more things that I've got a drop down element uh, in my menu. How on earth do you represent that in mobile? Um, Especially if you're looking at small screens that maybe don't have support for javascript you you might end up with a menu that's a mile long and the ways to hide it and reveal it are they're quite tricky to get around so i think that that's probably one of the biggest things i think that because it's so important to get the to be able to browse the site properly to have the navigation working so i say that's definitely the biggest challenge and also if you've got a lot of images it can make for quite a scroll heavy page and so trying to find a way that they're still you can still see what's in the images but not making them too big uh, that could be quite a challenge like finding the right balance between screen width and image size yeah awesome classic hard question in design it's always images 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 
What do we got here, Dave? Do you want Next to- question comes from Brian Weaver. And oh yeah, this is fluff. I put the book. Go ahead. <laughs> you want to it's not fluff, Brian. <laughs> well, no, it's good. No, it's good. Let's hear Mr. Weaver's question. I think I feel like you have a quick answer to this. So here we go. Right. Hey guys, I'd love to hear what your go-to plugins are for WordPress theme development. Thanks. Kind of a classic question, um, just in terms of it like, what's, put it what's in here for a couple of reasons. Yeah, I, I put it in here for a couple of reasons because one is I, I I've just I've made that blog post and I was like, oh, that's perfect. Thanks, Brian. You got me to to, to blog this thing that I've been meaning but for, for a while. So at csstricts.com slash WordPress dash plugins dash I dash use <laughs> is a list of them there. But now that I'm listening to Brian's question more specifically, oh, well, the other reason I put it in is because Laura used WordPress on the site. I can tell. So that was yeah. interesting. Laura's. Um, I don't know. Are you like do you, do you do WordPress a lot, or did you pick it on this project just for? I do it a lot. Um, I yeah. think I do it for most of my clients. I do custom themes for okay. their sites, and probably my favorite two plugins are Advanced Custom Fields, which I used on my site to choose all the colors because I didn't want to go through and edit. CSS every time I wanted to change the color scheme on a page so I've actually got form fields um, in the admin for each page where I just pick the colors and it's got are a color picker type color or did you uh, yeah I, th- that, I think they asked yeah there's it's an actual color field which is brilliant but it's built into advanced custom fields and oh, nice. gravity forms I love a bit of gravity forms and uh, that's that's a great one these mm. on everything no comment <laughs> that's an offline that's an offliner uh cool and but but what what brian said just in re-listening to his questions he's like what do you recommend for wordpress theme development and i was like hmm, maybe that's a slightly different question and that like are you meant are themes like literally for the development process or just to do did brian just mean you know just like what are your favorite plugins kind of thing uh, so when I listened to that, I was like, well, the most important ones I use generally on a site are like ones like W3 Total Cash. You know, that's like, like that's like non-negotiable. Like that has to go on a site on, on my sites just because it, you know, it keeps the server. It just it reduces load by such a tremendous amount that it keeps your site fast forever, even at ridiculous scale. Um, and then I use WordPress SEO because it, it automates so many of those dumb things that are like actually pretty important and, and, and need to be done, like sitemaps and uh, handling titles and meta descriptions and all that stuff that sucks to do on your own. So it's pretty vital. It, you know, even just turning, just putting it in there and turning it on does so much for you that it's awesome. And then I use VaultPress, which is that paid thing from, from Automatic that just like backs up your database and files on your server in kind of real time. So it's like, like if somebody like leaves a comment, it's immediately synced up on VaultPress. You know, it does that kind of real time backup, which feels good. It's like, it's like Dropbox backup for your blog kind of makes me feel better. Uh, but none of those are for theme development, really. So I was like, I wonder if he's talking about individual themes. I was like, well, if, you, if, if you're designing a very specific theme, like what, what cool features does that theme have in it? You know, like is there, is there social stuff going on on that theme? Is there a ton of content or is it, or is it or, or not so much? Is it, is it bloggy or not bloggy? Is there interactive stuff or not? Um, Anyway, so the couple that I use in CS Strix are one called Feature Comments, which is just adds little little um, links that only the admin can see, which you can click Feature or Bury, and it will like like if I click Feature, it just adds a CSS class name to that list item, and I can use that CSS class name to. I don't know why I always say CSS class name, but you know what I mean. It adds a class. <laughs> it's really it's an HTML whatever. It's a class, and then I just you know use that class to apply a gold star or some kind of feature that comment in some way to be like, good comment, man, or, you know, person. It's just like a, like a positive reinforcement for, for, for doing good comments. And if it's spam, I just delete it. But, but I also have Barry for, for, you know, quote unquote, bad comments. You know, when people just write a comment that's like, thanks with three exclamation points, I bury that and I let people see that I buried it, you know, kind of as like public you know, and, and and sorry to the person leaving that comment. I'm not trying to be a jerk to you. I'm trying to be respectful to other people who have made it this far down the page that they're trying to dig up information, and you're you're taking up valuable <laughs> mind cycles for them. So I 
a beer. Anyway, that's a that's a nice comment. I have articles about that. I'll put in the show notes. And you know, I really like that yet another related posts um, plugin. That one does a, a really good job of finding related posts to the one you're looking at. And I use WP polls on CSS Tricks to, to handle polls. So I just thought I would put that in here because I recently blogged about it and stuff. Good share. Yeah. Good share. I'm sorry, I've been talking a bunch, but I'm going to talk just a minute longer because I, I want to say we have a brand new sponsor this week on the Shop Talk show called Peep Code. I, 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 I'm kind of in, like, if I could do a poll right now, it would be cool to be able to do real. How many people have heard of Peep Code? I hope it's everybody because they've been doing screencasts forever. They were kind of my inspiration for ever even starting screencasts way, way back when on CSS Tricks. And they, they did it, they've always done it to a like, quality level that I, I didn't even try to match. You know, it's like they do great. You know, if you want good screencasts, you can listen to Peep Code stuff, but I'm going to do my own little screencast too just because i want to uh but they you know uh they just you know you, you, all kinds of stuff all kinds of stuff on rails and jquery and backbone and vim and you know just just anything you want and 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 you and you just buy them one off you know and listen to them but there's a, a really cool series that they've been doing um, it's not, you know, not, it's not super duper new, but it's one of their newer types of series, I think called play by play. Uh, and I became aware of it when Ryan Singer, who Ryan is a designer for 37 signals, uh, did a, you know, it's, it's kind of, it, it's not really a screencast. It's like him talking with one of the dudes from, from, uh, peep code about, about being a designer. So it's not like, um, a training exercise or something. This guy like blindsides Ryan kind of with a, with a, with, you know, so Ryan has like no prep kind of, um, as far as I know. And he d- designed this and he just gives Ryan a design problem and, and he has to think it out on camera. Like, how would I approach this design problem? Uh, using any tools you want. Use your computer, use paper or, or whatever. And it's a, like, it's a two-part series where he, you know, tackles this and you can really see, hear and see the mind of a designer working. And I think that's so rare and so, so interesting to hear. And there's a bunch of people like that. It's not just Ryan, but there's, you know, Kyle Neath, who's GitHub and Yehuda Katz in here and, and some, and some people that you get to, get to watch do their job. And it's just a, it's a cool thing for me because I'm into this. I'm into this idea of kind of working in public and seeing people's mind work. So that's one of the things you can check out. Yeah, it's kind of the ultimate like pro tip, <laughs> like centers. Uh, it's there's some you know like Yehuda Katz basically he does a lot of stuff now, but uh, like I think more on the JavaScript side of things. But like he kind of fixed rails in a lot of ways and you know he's just uh these these guys are smart so lots of pro tips here and to see them you know just see their mind churn is cool less like a polished finished product kind of like here watch me do something perfectly here watch me do something live you know yeah yeah Pretty cool. I, I, Thanks for sponsoring Peep Code. I am a big fan. I literally own a whole bunch of Peep, Peep Code podcasts. I keep in my iTunes. Well, cool. Awesome. So we're going to keep going. Uh, the next question is from Josh Rives, and it's uh, about SAS. Uh, Laura, do you use SAS? I do indeed. Okay, good. All right. That's why go. I put it in here, so you outed oh. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. So I just started using SAS and I'm trying out Live Reload. How do you recommend incorporating a CSS reset? Uh, I've seen uh, I've seen Compass plugins for the HTML5 boilerplate, but I haven't tried Compass yet. I guess I could copy and paste the CSS into my SAS, my SCSS, but that doesn't seem right. So how? how I guess what this is sort of like. How do you get started? What's the, what's the first like getting into like setting up the reset and stuff like that. How do you, how do you do that, Laura? I start, I have a base CSS, uh, SCSS file where I put in a reset, um, one that I've adapted myself. That's not, it resets sizes and things like that, but it doesn't, it doesn't take away outlines and all of those things. So it keeps some of the good stuff in. And then I start with mix-ins and, so I've got a whole list of mix-ins 
then a whole load of variables, and then I start setting all of the default HTML elements from there. So I'm, I think I still do it in quite an old school, the way you'd probably lay out a CSS file. I'm, I'm not quite got into the automating absolutely everything at a mm. point yet. It's a bit intimidating for someone that's... I really think of myself as a designer, and a lot of the SAS stuff seems to go quite into the programmy style of doing things, which I find a little bit intimidating. Yeah, yeah, I totally know what you mean. And then it's just a matter of, like, in your screen dots scss file or whatever your main scss whatever your the file you're referencing in your html you just do like at import file name like partial name like reset or or base as you called it sure so in the case of using laura using normalize you would just um you know call it normalize.scss and at import normalize yeah yes yeah so yeah big chunk of that stuff at the beginning Totally. I mean, that's what I do too. Uh, just because Josh says he's literally using Compass here, or I've seen Compass plugins here, there's a reset that just comes with Compass. So you don't even have to do anything. You can just go like at, I don't even know what it is, at import something, something, and it just gives you whatever Compass thinks is a good reset. I don't use that just because, you know, as a CSS nerd, I like to be pretty specific about the the stuff I I, Some, I somebody's really snooty about their mm, reset. Uh, <laughs> oh, what is it? Oh, you have you, it looks like you have a bunch of choices here. There's the compass reset, or you can choose to use the blueprint reset, I guess. And it's up to it. Eh. It's just no no yeah. Import compass utilities general reset. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. At that point, for me, it's easier to just go to HTML5 doctor, copy the reset, and paste it in. <laughs> To mm-hmm. a, my own CSS file. Uh, well, then you can edit it, which you can't with the Compass one. Probably exactly, you'd have to edit yeah. some core stuff. And that's so. That's what I do, Josh. And and I think like you should. That's probably you know if that makes sense to you, that's probably what you should do. Um, you, you could get into like nesting, you know, like doing all you know, like getting into all your SaaS affordances, but just it's not going to make a huge difference. It could actually hurt. Well, maybe hurt performance. I don't know. Specific hurt your brain. <laughs> yeah, hurt your brain. So I just just copy your favorite reset and put it in. Normalize whatever you like. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think that's acceptable. I'm kind of interested in. The, so you have this set of mixins that you use, Laura, that are like kind of of your own crafting or, or of of something you've. So, yeah. But not not compass, right? No, I'm, I make my own everything. I'm really funny about frameworks. I don't like, I like everything to be incredibly semantic and I like to understand everything that I'm putting in there. And so I, I sort of, when people start talking about boilerplates and things like that, I get a bit sort of itchy. It's, <laughs> I, I don't feel comfortable with it. And, and some of the HTML it produces is really ugly. It's not readable. It's not reusable. And it's not how I think HTML should be. Indeed. Uh, we have another question just for you from Matthew James. Hi, Laura. How difficult do you find it to sell responsive design to smaller clients? So we've talked a lot about your website and some process stuff, but we haven't talked about your life as a freelancer too much. Do you? And you and you talk. I've seen you talk before, and you talk about responsive design. So this is a, it's part of your repertoire, isn't it? And, and and do you do you bring this to clients and say this is what I'm gonna do for you? Or do you- I do. I, it depends on the client. So a lot of my clients, I'm very lucky. I work with quite a few people that are already sort of in the web industry so they mostly know what responsive design is and are after it anyway because that's the standard um but a lot of if i get a smaller client i think sometimes say explaining it to them might scare them off a bit and so a lot of time i just include it as standard so i don't even feel the need to tell them that it's going to look a bit different on mobile things like that i just do it it's it's an idea that it's anna debenham said it first she said it's like accessibility you wouldn't necessarily go over all the ins and outs of what you do to make your site accessible so treat responsive stuff like that just you don't need to tell the client you just do it Mm, that's great that's refreshing yeah because some people talk about like the cost of it and how it's 
you know, you have to upsell it or, or whatever because it's, you know, it's getting harder these days. But if it's just part of your natural workflow, which you think with people like even younger than us, it's definitely going to be a part of, you know, like this, this is a very temporary situation we're in. Like eventually this is just going to be how, how, how it goes, right? Yeah, it's, it's part of keeping up. It's part of being a, a modern uh, web designer is doing that. And so yeah, I think when clients come to you, they expect you to do the best that you can. And I think responsive is the best you can do now. Yeah, do we have some kind of clap graphic or <laughs> sound effect? Here. Well, yeah, let me do that. That's a good <laughs> or this one. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I've heard somebody say, like, uh, if you want to sell responsive, you just say, I'll make it work on an iPhone and people go, Oh, here's all my money. It works. (laughs) (laughs) But I've never tried that in person, but, uh, that would be, maybe we could have some shop talk listeners try that. In report back. <laughs> it's it's a good thing to do if if you've got a very non tech savvy client and they're really not sure and 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 if you end up mentioning the the design like if they go, Well how come it looks different when it's full screen from when it's not full screen? And you say, Oh, I'm making it so it looks good on iPhone, everyone understands that. Yep. Isn't there, is there some little test you can do to make sure they don't have an Android phone though? Like just in case, you know, cause if they, if they do, they probably aren't as like happy with your iPhone answer that <laughs> if there's some kind of like subtle question you can ask. Find out. I don't, I don't think many Droid Dar. clients are, are the typical <laughs> users. Droid <Dar. laughs> Uh, we have a sponsor um uh, you uh, if you've ever listened to shop talk show you know who they are they're environments for humans they're fabulous people they do conferences both online and offline the online ones are cool because you don't have to fly anywhere you know you just you just you know you just settle into your couch and and you can make hot sweatpants Mm-hmm. As a speaker or a listener, <laughs> well, you do. They, they do see you on camera a little bit, but you don't have to wear pants. But anyway, uh, 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 we'll let you know about any online ones as they come up here. But the big one that they're doing, they do, they do what you know, just what we call in the biz face-to-face conferences, or in their business anyway. Re, you know, ones where you go and you hang out and you talk with other people and you watch speakers on stage. Uh, the big two coming up are back to back, and they're doing them in Honolulu, Hawaii. So that is in controlconference.com that's in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, it's going to be December second through fourth. So there's, you know, there's everything. There's speakers and workshops and stuff. I'm doing a talk there. Dave's doing a talk. I'm doing a workshop there. Um, lots of big names. That's going to be cool. So check that out in controlconference.com. Again, that's December second through fourth in Honolulu, Hawaii. So if you want to go, get on it and. Uh, Book your tickets, book your flight, because that's going to be a part of the cost of this for sure. So uh, that's cool. But man, if you live in the Midwest or something or anywhere it's cold, it gets pretty cold in the UK in December, doesn't it? Does it snow where you live? Yes, it does. It's it gets very cold over here. It's miserable. It's chucking it down with rain at the moment. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, it, it does that most of the time here. <laughs> <laughs> so if you live anywhere near Laura, buy your tickets. To- <laughs> <laughs> And then CSS DevConf is right after that, and I'm excited for that one too because I like conferences that are so specific sometimes. I went to a a jQuery conference one time, and it was a really enjoyable one because it was so specific. Everybody was talking about kind of the same thing. If you open somebody's laptop, they're like, they're like hacking on some jQuery. You can get help on jQuery. Like everybody's like on the same page. And for some reason, I really liked it. I really liked how specific it was to one technology. And that's what this is going to be, but for CSS. So everybody's going to be talking about CSS, which is my jam. I'll be speaking at that one as well. Uh, it's December 5th in Honolulu. So you get to go to both if you want or skip it. Go to in control, take the day off, <laughs> learn to surf, learn to chase mavericks, whatever you want. Uh, I just looked at the schedule for CSS DevConf. I'll be speaking at the same time as Paul Irish talking about getting 60 frames per second CSS performance through tools. So go back to the house. Yeah, well, so I may just stop my talk and we all go <laughs> attend Paul's. So we'll see. 
No, it's it's going to be a fun time. I'm excited, really. Uh, we have a few more questions. Let's uh, let's talk more about let's talk more about responsive design. That's the fun thing. And that's I didn't you speak so when last time I saw Laura, we were at like that future of everything thing in Vegas. Right? <laughs> yeah, future insights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you talked twice, didn't you? Or I was, did. Yes, I did. Yeah. They were both you know, at least once was about responsive design. So you have some things to say about. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. The second one I do, yeah, one on fonts and one on responsive design. Is that uh, I do like a good bit of responsive design. <laughs> I think it's very interesting challenges now, and people talk a lot about development, but not very much about design itself. And I think that's a shame because there are a lot of design challenges that aren't necessarily development challenges, and the way we think about the way we present content on the screen and. That's very complicated and can't just be solved by media queries and things like that. It needs a lot more in-depth thinking. Totally. Yeah, it's it's really tough to explain. Like putting text in boxes is pretty tough because <laughs> then you have like flows, you know. Uh, but you know, there's ways around it. But that's part of the design. You know, being a bit of a code savvy designer. It's just. It's yeah. I like. What you're saying, and then there's challenges that are exactly the opposite way around, right? They're just nerdy only because the designers like put an image there and make it put the image that I want there. That's what the designers' <laughs> input would be. And the developers like, yeah, but which one of five, you know? And I want to serve. <laughs> so it's a combination yeah, it's, of nerdery. It's and making design. it harder to be, I think, just a designer. If you're just a visual designer for the web, I think your job is going to become very difficult. I think you really need to be able to understand the way that the development works and the way that the text flows and things like that because I mean if you don't then how how can you even how can you even think about designing for it it's impossible you can't you can't just design on some small photoshop canvases anymore right uh, and so gosh do we do we didn't even ask the question we just started talking about we just it started so- talking <laughs> <laughs> Jason McGovern asks, when it comes to responsive layouts, I usually only see designs with vertical scrolling where the width, different widths, trigger trigger various layouts at certain breakpoints. Do you think that we'll start seeing more horizontally scrolling designs that are responsive based on the viewport's height as opposed to the width now that more browsers are... Well, this is a weird way to end it, I guess, but now that more browsers are supporting the CSS3 column property. um, He's... I, a column just means like it breaks text into columns. You know, it doesn't mean like I, that would be, you know, it's it would be a weird way to make a horizontally scrolling site with columns. You know, you'd have to like make the parent container like ridiculously wide and then use a ridiculous number of columns. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure that property equals yeah. horizontally scrolling sites. And then when you're when you're if you're scrolling sideways, you then have to look from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen. So you're reading left to right and top to bottom, it, the opposite way around from how you're used to. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I oh go ahead. No, I don't have anything to say. I was going to say there, there's like horizontal um, sites in general are are sort of difficult because you need to know the width. Like you have like. Vertical just flows. Like if you keep adding crap to your DOM, like more more height is added by default, you know. Um, but that's not the case with the width. Like you can't just keep adding width. You have to specify width. So that's where like it, it's sort of impractical uh, that horizontal scrolling designs will become like the default. That said, Windows 8 is coming out, and that's got like a horizontal UI. So it's, I think people are going to start trying that a lot. And, and, um, and, and so it could be really interesting to see what people are bringing to the web in terms of mm-hmm. horizontal stuff. But I think it has to have a JavaScript dependency, like, because you can't just, like, just assume your page is going to be 3,000 mm-hmm. pixels wide. We'll see. Right now, it is. I think there's some. There'll probably be stuff coming to CSS for auto pagin- with paginationy stuff. You know what? I think of ebooks as wow. horizontal design, don't you? Like you're you're reading a book and you're done with the page and you flick it to the left and it changes page. You know, it's really just page. And in in horizontal, just is like it just happens to be how the animation flicks over. 
and it could just as easily flick upwards or whatever. But I kind of like the idea of having pagination be part of, uh, you know, it, it would help with really reading based sites, you know, like break this into a chunk. So I've seen some interesting work done in that area anyway. Um, I don't know what what else yeah, I have yeah. to say about that, but you know maybe CSS regions will be a part of it, right? Like make this huge stack of 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 divs or whatever that are the exact size of the viewport, and then have the content flow all between them, and then have like a flick motion change the z index of which one you're looking at or something, mm-hmm. you know? So you have this kind of page feeling going on. I don't know. I'm just riffing. Yeah. Just riffing. I, God, I need a riffing sound. <laughs> Sweet <laughs> solo. When I live. <laughs> uh, anyway, good question, Jason. I bet we, I bet we tackle this multiple times in the future. Because uh, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious how it's going to all work out. Like the horizontal stuff. It's a dimension we're not using for sure. But mm. I don't know. Do we have time for a? few more here. Do you have a fa- fancy meeting today you have to get back to, Laura? No, I'm good. <laughs> good. Good. That's good. Let's, let's go. Um, this one's about colors, which we talked a lot about colors, so I figured this would be a good one to add. This is from Matija Moronik, Moronik uh, and she's, uh, he, she says, uh, <laughs> Hi, guys. I seem to have a lot of problems with coloring my websites. Uh, they usually end up really desaturated with one accent color, similar to GitHub. As soon as I try adding more colors, I can't seem to manage importance of the elements. Do you have any recommendations about how I should start giving life to my designs? Are there any good resources on learning how to color stuff on a higher level than just trying stuff out that looks and, you know, trying it out until it looks okay? Thanks. Uh, I'm going to defer to our color expert and popular color lovers uh, <laughs> guest, <laughs> Laura. I, I don't think I – I don't have any good resources, um, to be honest. But one thing that I do when I'm choosing palettes because – if you have too many colors, you, you do find it's very difficult to show hierarchy. I tend to choose a set of colors that are all very close together in the spectrum. So if I'm choosing a set of blues and I've got all different types of blues and then I'll have one accent color. So it's not a case of just using grays and whites and an accent color, but just using two diff- very different colors on the scale so that it just sets it apart, makes it stand out a bit more. You've got one thing that you can use to draw attention to your buttons and headings and things like that. That's the, the kind of how, how I try to do it. Yeah, so when when he says here, um, is this the one? Yeah, like he starts with a desaturated kind of kind of look, probably, you know, grays and whatever, and then, and then picks an accent color. That's not too, it's not like an awful way to go, really, is it? Or, it's, I, 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 I just when I read that I was kind of like I don't know I kind of do that sometimes and that, because if you pick like some some really chill colors it's easier to it's easier to pick then you're like well I'll pick like a, a cool green or something and it'll just kind of automatically work and then you have the green and then green kind of suggests other ones to go with I feel like not that I'm like some color master because I'm certainly not but it comes up for me in my work plan I, cho- I do plenty of color choosing and I, I just find that colors suggest other colors once you've once you start picking them, there's only so many different places you can go. If you pick like this, you know, and I, I feel like that's evidence a little bit on your site, right? Like just the homepage has this, you know, kind of deep purples on it, you know? So there's the, then there's that blue that goes with that purple. There's not an infinite amount of, well, if you want to get mathematical, there probably is, but <laughs> if you're just thinking of, Well, you, you don't know, want to pick colors that are too, like too far away on the spectrum. So you don't really want to, team like yellow and purple or red and green because they're the ones that clash and so you want to pick ones that are close in the spectrum which only gives you a certain amount of choice mm-hmm. well and unless the job of it is to 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 be super bold or or whatever like, like like a yellow line would be pretty would have been pretty visible there but it would have meant a lot like under your name i mean like, yeah. like it would have been visible and fine. There would have been enough contrast. It wouldn't have been too vibrating. It would have been okay, but it would have meant something a lot different. It would have been like really super strong. Your eye would just go right to to a bright yellow line there instead of that blue line. Uh, anyway, you know. But instead, it's chill. It's just kind of a more relaxed separator between your name and the menu. I don't. Yeah, know. on some pages, I've tried. I've picked out some slightly brighter colors just to 
just because it works better with the subject, but it does have a different effect. It does draw your eye much more to the top left. So I don't know if that's I don't know if that's successful or not. Well, you get to decide. It's your own site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or everyone else will tell me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Chris. Well, what was it you were saying about riffing a while ago? <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I'm just riffing. Excellent! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I might need to post-production that and give it a little more juice to get loose. <laughs> but that was great. That thanks. That was a P cried Zagin. <laughs> I'm murdering his handle <laughs> in the chat room. Thanks, dude. Really appreciate it. Uh, yes. Oh my awesome. God. There's a Bill and Ted dot org. Last one. Michael Van Dorth has a two parter here, I think. So in the design process, in this case, assuming you are designing outside of the browser, Photoshop or paper or something, what sort of layouts do you normally attack first mobile or wider desktop one? So it's the classic, uh, do you go mobile first? I mean, did you write? Did you start it on some paper for? Well, let's just pick instead of talking about your site, which we've done plenty. Of, what's a recent client that you've had? You do the sites for the the future of everything e stuff, right? Yeah, was that I did those recent? sites. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, reasonably recent. I do. It's strange. I do them all three at the same time um, because I find it's it's a system that I'm designing rather than individual screens because you need to think about the way that the elements relate to each other because otherwise the site will be unrecognizable if someone uses it on mobile and then goes to use it on a really big screen they won't know where anything is so you've got to think about how it works across the whole lot and I find if I work just on mobile I forget about the desktop if I work just on desktop I tend to forget about the mobile so i what i'll do is on paper i'll draw side by side um three different widths and i'll add in the elements one at a time to all of them and play about with them in that way which is very very unconventional that's something i've never heard either yeah but hey clearly it works for you Um, so literally yeah that's interesting you just kind of work on all three at once yeah because it's and otherwise, I think I can get too t- tightly focused on the different sizes and cool things I can do. You can always add in cool additional things later on, sort of different ways of displaying things, but you need to have the basics consistent first. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. And, oh, man, I like it. I like the idea of three, too. That seems like such a common, you know, like that. It's funny that that's, I don't know, taken yeah. hold so strongly. It's like... It's desktop, tablet, mobile. You know, there's a, there could be more, but that's our go-to these days. Yeah, it's just quite well in a notebook. If you've got a double yeah. page open, you can have one page for a big screen and then the other two on another oh, right. page. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's important to not think about the actual widths when you're doing it, but just right, how just much content general. you're trying to squeeze in. Sure, sure. So, Michael, yes, which one do you do first? Laura says... All. <laughs> the second part of it was that when working on the CSS then, so after you've gotten to the browser in these cases, do you normally work on the wider layouts for like so okay, so you've so you attack them all first, um, you know, design wise, but then once you get to the browser, which one do you start CSSing first? Oh, mobile first, always. There you go. That has a stronger opinion. Mobile first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that's. I think that's all Michael wants to know here. Is like, do you do you try that or do you not? Really? That's interesting. That's interesting. I would say. I would say. I, I don't know. I'd have to. I haven't worked on a on a like clear cut, simple. You know, like start to finish kind of design to to end product site in a in a, in a in a hot minute here. But I think my brain at the moment still suggests kind of maybe I would design it mobile first, but it would be hard for me to. To start writing code mobile first. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. I kind of when I when I say mobile first, like it's almost um, nothing first. So the first the first version that I do will be all just sort of things like color link styling, so things that would be the same on every screen. So the same way you'd start your CSS if you were doing a wider screen first, but then and then adding in the smaller, yeah. more specific stuff. 
So you start out with like a base layer of constants that everything has, and then you start layering in specificity for mobile, tablet, yeah. and desktop. Yeah. Yeah, because then, then you know, in theory, that should accommodate absolutely anything at all that supports CSS. Nothing first, as Laura put it. Yeah. I like it. New book. You just got your a book apart title. <laughs> Content first. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <sighs> Well, cool. Uh, I think that's all the questions we have for today. And, uh, you know, we we got to get people back to their day jobs. But, uh, Laura, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. And uh, as usual, how can uh, people find you, follow you, uh, give you money? How does that work? I am Laura Kalberg on absolutely everything. No spaces, just <laughs> on Twitter, mm-hmm. on app.net. Uh, my website is laurakalberg.com. Yeah, nice and easy. Mm-hmm. Keeping it simple. Nice. Okay, perfect. And then uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, you guys, for coming out into the chat room. We really appreciate that. Uh, you guys always fact-check us really nicely. Uh, and uh, rate us up in iTunes. Just click five stars. It's that easy. And follow Shop Talk Show on Twitter uh, for all the updates. I've been thinking about the Twitter. Maybe we'll make it a little more active. But, Chris, we'll talk. But if you guys don't want to be active, yeah. just tell us. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. That's how you solve that crowdsource. Um, anyway, that's all I got. Chris, you got anything? Uh, shoptalkshow.com.